This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 153, Siege. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings card game. Hey, Brian. Hello. Hello, everyone. And as you might guess from the episode title, I got Brian to come on here today to talk about the recently released Siege Heart of Darkness. Those of you who listen to the podcast know that I was super pumped to get a multiplayer Legend of the Five Rings product like this, a you know a raid deck or an overlord deck, been something I had been wanting to see. So tell me, Brian, I, this product, you made it just because I wanted it, right? It's just for me? Yeah, so we weren't going to do it, and then you let us know that you wanted it. And uh, so I, I talked to Zinzer, the CEO of the company. I'm like, let's do this product. So like, eh, I don't know about it. I was like, well, Chris Stevenson wants it. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then it was green lit. <laughs> That's all it takes, guys. Yeah. I take bribes to suggest other things to Brian, too. Thank you very much. Okay, so how really did this product come about? Uh, well, it's something that we'd been wanting to do for a long time. You know, this type of product, people are obviously going to be the most familiar with the raid decks. Uh, you know, these these X on one products suit L5R perfectly because what is L5R other than big evil threatening the empire and everyone coming together to face them off? So I mean, that's perfect for the X on one decks. So it's something that we've been wanting to do for a long time, but we simply didn't have the resources to develop into this. And then when we decided that we weren't going to be doing starter deck in the uh, in the expansions every every set, uh, and we were looking for other things to fill that hole with, we were like, well, maybe this is the time to give the siege deck a try. So we did, and I think it's gone over really well. Now. How did you end up with the the sort of defensive concept of this? Because a, a lot of times the the sort of raid or, or actually right, like literally a raid deck is usually in terms of here are the players they are going into the lair of the boss monster and trying to defeat it. Whereas this is you're trying to survive uh, the dark naga. H- how did you make that di- design decision? Yeah, initially. Um it threw me off a little too. So we got the initial concept from one of our groups of players over in Europe. And they had the basic concept of, you know, Rokugan being attacked and then you're defending Rokugan. And when I was talking to them about it, we were going over this because I'm the same way as you guys. I'm like, well, you know, you want to attack. The reason that they, they were going this route and the reason why we ended up going this route was so that every deck could immediately just sort of hop in and adapt, whether you're an honor deck, whether you're an enlightenment deck, whether you're a dishonor deck. 
you're going to have to be prepared to defend yourself at some point. That's sort of the universal thing that you do at L5R. And so with it being a defensive deck, we didn't have to try to put any rules in where we're like, okay, well, what happens if two honor and a dishonor player sit down and they need to come over and take all the Nagas provinces or whatever it might be. So mechanically, it sort of seemed to fit to make it a defensive but we still wanted a militaristic aspect to it, which is why there is still the option, and a very good option, in order to attack the Naga, and you get a very real benefit for doing so. And uh, thematically, it also fit well with wanted we, what we wanted to do with the siege of the Naga coming, coming for the second city. Like, it just sort of fit in perfectly that... The theme of it would be a defensive one. Mechanically, the most deck types would be, uh, would fit in. Like one difference between L5R and other, many other card games is that you can win by never attacking, just sitting back and defending, or that's not a common thing in other card games built into the rule book. You know, maybe there's some weird specialized combo deck or whatever in a different game where you just defend the whole time and then your clock goes off and you win. But, you know, in L5R it is a very mainstay to several decks where all you do is defend. So it fits much better into the mechanics of the L5R than it would in other card games. How did the theme of this set develop in relation to the mechanics? Was this a, you've you've got the Siege deck, you've got the Naga going on, and so you looked around and said, well... We need to take the Dark Nog and have him attack the Second City, because that's what makes the most sense for, for this sort of story. Or was that story already in place, and then you figured out how to integrate it? Or Yeah, it was sort of the two. Um, so we started looking at doing this product back in, I guess this is 2014, so it would be some point in 2012 when we were looking at, at doing this. And we were, we were looking, okay, what, you know, what's story would this do, right? Because with L5R being a story game, you don't just sort of put out this product and say, you know, generic bad guy is attacking or whatever, right? Is associated around the story. And, you know, the the Naga were going to be attacking the city. Well, we knew we wanted to have it out at iGenCon 2014 August timeframe. We knew around that timeframe was when we were going to want to have the Naga attacking the city and resolve that storyline one way or another. And so the two just sort of melted together perfectly. How did you decide which three clans to represent in here? Because Phoenix, Mantis, Scorpion, that's sort of a non-standard array to have for, for one of these products. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's not the norm so we had, in the Matter of Honor Learn to Play, we featured Crab and Lion. And then in those four free demo decks that launched with Ivory Edition, you had uh, Crane, Dragon, Spider, Unicorn. So the three clans that were left out that hadn't been featured in a special product were Mantis, Phoenix, Scorpion. So that's that's how we came to the conclusion that those were going to be the three clans featured in there. Now, what were the deck building constraints that you guys I guess were working within or had placed on yourselves for this. I noticed you you did include a number of hot rares, but I was also a little puzzled to see things like multiple counting houses floating around in some of the decks. 
Yeah, it went through many different iterations. Um, now, Counting House was a card for, uh, to take that one for an example, where it's usually active always for at least one, if not two turns of the game. At different iterations, it was much more active. So by the time we got to the final version, the Counting House wasn't quite as, as good of a fit, but by that point it was like, well, Counting House is still good, so, so it stayed in there. But as far as the deck constraints, basically, we went through, we put some constraints on the rares, but as you mentioned, as actually I think not a lot of people know is, or at least not enough people know, is there's a lot of really good rares in there. There's multiple Productive Minds, multiple Jade Perlins, Victory Through Deference, lots of good rares, like way more than the 35 or $40, I don't remember off the top of my head, price tag for this. Uh, and, you know, we, I think it's 30 rares total. I think one of the constraints we put on ourselves was 10 rares per deck of the three decks that come with it. So 10 in Mantis, 10 in Phoenix, 10 in Scorpion. And then besides that, we didn't really have much in the way of deck, deck, uh, construction restrictions other than those decks are specifically built to fight the Naga deck. So, you know, we just put in cards specifically that would that would be good in that particular game. Yeah, that's why you see so many encircled terrains, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a little bit good against the Dark Naga. <laughs> Although I, I guess these decks probably need it because they're, you know, not uh, uh, they're optimized to fight against this deck, but you know, work within certain constraints. They're not. Right. Oh, I'm gonna take a super powerful arc legal deck with. Some of my crazy coils of mantis guys. Although Saruchi did make it into the mantis deck, and he's a beating. <laughs> yeah, Saruchi is a Saruchi's really tough to fight. I think I might have been in the Naga game I played against you at Gen Con this season. I think I might have been in that game. Maybe it was a different one where somebody got out Saruchi, and with Saruchi, he was well equipped up, so it was tough to get through to him. And then kept retreating turn after turn to the. To the Imperial uh, District, that was really rough. And as you say, exactly, there's we did have some deck constraints in that you know you you only got ten rares in the deck, so you know they're not just going to be jammed full of tons of rares. They were very much constructed to fight this game, but they were definitely uh, uh, handicapped in that in that respect. I did get Saruchi out, and I think somebody else might have, but it it was relatively late, so he we. And you were able to deal with it. We didn't just get to murder a bunch of people. I don't know if we ever got to murder anybody. But no, that's right. Take that, Sergi. Yeah. (laughs) But if if people are playing this with fully constructed decks that are specifically designed to defeat the Dark Naga, like here's my full-powered arc deck, and I'm putting in three encircled terrains, and I'm packing uh, the Phoenix who sets a force maximum for all the Naga personalities. Right. It, it feels like at that point, it's kind of going to tip to being usually just a massacre of the Dark Naga. You know, what were you guys aiming for as far as what the sweet spot was for what kind of deck construction would get you, a, you know, like a 50-50 between the Naga player and the Rokugani players? Yeah, uh, as you say, you know, if you sit down with three, four, five decks, whatever, 
that are all specifically built to be, you know, you've got ramifications in there, which is really rough because it sends home all my guys and gets you two political tokens. I will send home any one of my guys, not all my guys. A little difference in those statements. Uh, You know, things like chaos and battle where it's like, all right, well, these two guys get, you know, plus seven, plus seven. And, uh, you know, we've got 15 of those between our five decks. The encircled trains, as you already mentioned, like it's not going to even be a contest. Our goal with it was we tried to eliminate as much of that stuff as we could. So things like your unstoppable actions can't be prevented. You know, that keeps five Scorpion players from sitting down and just shotgunning, you know, all the fake cards in, in the Nagas hands, preventing them from playing them. You know, we tried to stop as much of that stuff as we could, but, you know, ultimately, like, we weren't going to be able to get it, everything. Uh, our goal was when you sat down with a normal arc deck or whatever, the Dark Nagas should be winning more or less 80% as just a rough guidelines of its game. The theory being that at that point, if you wanted to tweak your deck a little, make it a little bit better against the Naga, as more sets come out, more cards get, uh, uh, come out, uh, your deck is going to improve, the Naga deck isn't going to change at all, right? So that so that number will start being tipped more and more back into the Rokugani's favor. And we we, we seem to find that it's, uh, you know, I don't have exact numbers, but somewhere in that range of about 70-80% of a when a Naga player pilots it is about what it should be winning. Uh, with the caveat, once the Naga player has some good experience under his belt, it's not a deck you can just pick up, play just as you would any other deck and get going. You definitely need, you definitely need to run through it a few times to get a good feel of all the things you can do. Wait a minute though, at Gen Con, you, I, you didn't even win half of your games with the, the Naga deck. Uh oh. I went, uh, four and two, sir. You did? Yeah, no, five uh, and two. Five and two, because I picked up Leon's last game. No, sorry, sorry, uh, four and three, because I wound up, the last game I played against five opponents, and two or three of them were doing the, okay, we want to make sure we save this part of the second city, so we're going to jam our decks full of, of meta to beat you, which was, you know, which was fine, right? It's a storyline thing, and they wanted, they had their storyline goals of saving as much of the second city as they could. Uh, so, I, you know, don't begrudge him at all for that. That was fine. But so I wound up losing that one. I lost the first one against you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I started out 0-2. I lost the first one against you. The second one, uh, I was playing against some good players that knew what they were doing, and I had some uh, the, the clock cards flipped up in, in some really clunky order. Sometimes you just get those flips where it's like, oh, you know, there goes... Hour the monkey on turn one and all these things that aren't helping me early and then late they're not helping me. And so I just got absolutely, uh, uh, I got crushed in a, in the second game. But then after that I went undefeated until, until the last one. We basically ended day two or the last game of day two. Everything was still up, uh, with five games left to play. And then I burned four in a row, but then lost that last one where they, uh, where they were decked out to beat me. I just wasn't going to win that game. Yeah, well, you know, you I, I hear you defeated the Yoda tie at, at least once, so I don't know if those kind of... Twice. Yeah. Yeah, I, okay, I didn't I didn't realize. I knew that, right, it ended up, the Naga deck was 6-6 six, six overall, right? And I knew that a couple of those wins weren't you. I didn't realize that the... So many of the other losses for the Dark Naga had come from... Uh, 
other people who were volunteering to play the deck. <laughs> yeah, let's see here. You piloted the deck and won, correct? Yes. Yeah, so you and Ornatov won, Andrew Ornatov. And then I took over mid-game for a player for Leon Phillips, and I wound up winning that one. Uh, and then the other three Dark Naga players lost. So they went three and three, and then I went... Well, yeah, they won three and three. I went four and three. I know that adds up to 13, but that's because I took over halfway from the game. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's counting two. <laughs> that was the rainbow ball, I guess. Uh, you know, I count both of us having a win. Not yeah. that it, you know, it didn't burn an extra district or anything before anybody <laughs> starts worrying that I counted that as two wins for the Dark Naga. It didn't. No, I'm, I'm sure that would have been noticed. So, I enjoyed playing both with and against the Naga deck at Gen Con, but obviously you were around more for that, so what kind of reception did Heart of Darkness get from all the players that you interacted with at Gen Con? Uh, it was getting real, re- uh, really good reception. I mean, what would you expect me to say anyways, right? <laughs> uh, oh, but, I, I, sometimes <laughs> I give you softball questions, and sometimes... Yeah. <laughs> but no, like, I... I honestly can't think of a negative comment i heard about it, which i was really happy about like it was so much work but on every level like i thought the product just came together i, I really think that the design and the mechanics of it are really good i thought the art was fantastic uh that the story worked really well with this product and it all just melded together and made a really good product so i'm very happy with it well, now, see, I, I can't believe that, because you cannot expect me to believe that you had a group of L5R players and none of them was whining about something. I, I know us. Fact. I, <laughs> I'm not saying the complaints aren't out there. I haven't heard of any of them. I'm not a guy who arbitrarily or artificially fluffs up his stuff, right? If, if people would come up with complaints, I would have you know, said, well, most people had a complaint or two. But no, I actually I did not hear anybody saying they didn't like it. You know, I had people coming up saying, hey, you know, I think I think this one thing should have been done different, or I would have done different on that thing. And a few of them I agreed with, right? But no, like actual, you know, I, I appreciate, but I didn't enjoy this. Nobody expressed it to me, at least. So if they walked away from the game not liking it, they just kept it to themselves and walked off. <laughs> um, you didn't hear any of the, so look at that guy calmly riding his horse through the middle of the burning, destroyed merchant. <laughs> 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 Uh, those those peasants or those merchants were delicious. <laughs> uh, so I maybe just I'm I'm optimistic, but I could not help but notice that that the title Siege Heart of Darkness that that calling the product like that certainly would lend itself to having something like Siege Second Day of Thunder. Or other sorts of follow-ons. Is this something that, if it sells well enough, you guys hope to revisit, or are you gonna, you know, move on to a different multiplayer product three years from now? Or yeah, we did intentionally name it the Siege Deck, so we could absolutely do different variations of Siege because there's so many aspects of L5R. Like you say, Second Day of Thunder would be fantastic. Uh, the Destroyer War would be fantastic. But nothing, I think that could be really interesting. Uh, and then there's there's aspects in Rokugan's history that we've never been able to explore in the card game. You have, you know, the first time Ayuchi Bond came to Rokugan, right? I think there could be a lot of interesting stuff there. 
so yeah, it absolutely is set up, and we are we are already working on the second siege product. So all things go well. There's no snafus. There will be another siege product coming out, which I'm excited about. So uh, it it seems to go over really well. I'm very happy with it. Like I said, it's, it's gotten really good reception. So. Okay, I'm just going to sit here and see if I'm quiet long enough, if you'll ramble long enough to accidentally <laughs> say what the battle will be for the next huge product. <laughs> it's a good strategy. It's a good tactic to take. Uh, <laughs> but no, we're not ready to announce yet what the uh, what the second one's going to be. In addition to the, the sort of rules changes, Siege has two new, I guess the rules call them card types, the clock cards are more cards. The territory cards are more like giant cardboard things, but uh, I guess they're still technically a card type. How did you end up deciding to introduce those uh, instead of just working within the existing card type framework? Yeah, when this was initially being done, and this was prior to my involvement getting in, this is... Rory from Ireland, uh, you had, I think it was Rory, Owen, and John from Ireland. I really hope I'm not forgetting someone else who worked on it. They're credited there in the rule book as the original concept. Anyway, uh, what they found when they were, uh, going through original was the Siege deck had a real tough time swapping provinces. Like if it was attacking you directly. And couldn't quite get that to work. And so they looked, okay, well, what if they had something different to attack, you know, something in the middle? And it was, you know, it's sort of like four objectives or whatever to uh, simulate the four provinces. So they sort of went, you know, they were looking at that like, okay, well, what about one, two, three, four? And that seemed to work out pretty well. So when we came, when we introduced the, the Naga theme to this, you know, they went through the uh, second city information. It's like, well, we got six districts. Uh, let's have them. You know, they need to destroy four of them. And, and they came up uh, with the idea of the peasant and then the artisan merchant temple all being at one level. You have to destroy one of those three. And then military and then imperial. And I think that worked out really well. And that way, you, you know, you destroy four provinces just like you would in a one-on-one game. There's just... You know, three, four, five times as many defenders as you normally have to fight off. The clock cards, I think that came about... Yeah, I think that was uh, from me. So, like, originally, what we what was going on was there was just, like, a clock counter, like a D20. And when it got to 12, the Dark Naga won. And 12 was about where they were wanting to uh, settle, uh, what Playtest was telling us they need to settle from. And I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. But, you know, having a D20 out there and counting the turns is sort of a clunky way to do it. So we started thinking about it's like, well, they're coming and invading a city. There's 12 hours in the Rokugani day. Let's create, you know, the clock deck that goes through the 12 hours of a Rokugani day to represent it's a one day siege. And you have to hold out for one day until you until you survive. So that worked out really well. And then from that. Can't, you know, we obviously had all this design space at that point, and that's where the different threat levels came from. Where you flip it over, and the deck, the Naga deck gets stronger, gets more powerful abilities the closer we uh, gets to the end, which I think really sort of gives that 
eminent feel as it starts steamrolling, going out of control. You start getting some of these really powerful abilities at, at threat level 10 and threat level 11. So that was the basic idea of, of where those came came from, and I think they worked out really well. Now, one of the things that a lot of the Naga cards have to do is have uh, a variety of uh, bits of text on them to prevent the Rokugani players from just auto-winning with a, a few key effects, like your province strength cannot be reduced so that you can't just use one card to drop the 50 province strength to zero and steamroll the the Dark Naga. Yeah, that, that'd be less... That'd be a bit anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I guess to me that seems like the sort of thing would be that would be less fun to have to do the development on. How did you guys approach identifying and addressing those sorts of situations? Well, as it was going through playtest, and uh, give a shout out here to Wayne. I don't know how to pronounce your last name from Australia and the uh, and the Melbourne guys down there. They at a certain point we were getting the mechanics down pretty well. The balance was getting out pretty well. And basically their job was to just spend week after week after week breaking uh, breaking the deck. That And then here with my guys in Sacramento, we were playtesting heavily. Again, Just we were, we were a bit more focused on making sure the balance was right, but also looking for the holes where you know, they were really focused on trying to break it. So they found a lot of these things that we, that we were like, all right, we, we do have to try to write around, write around these things. Such as the drop in your promise strength to zero. You know, at, at a certain point, there was no prevention of mass force penalties to your army. And so they were like, well, we got a Kachiko out. We we're just playing flashy technique every turn. And, and their army force dropped from 160 to 12. Uh, <laughs> you know, those types of effects. We just sort of had to organically find them by playing game after game after game and just and basically I think uh, ultimately what Wayne did was just go through the oracle look at all ivory legal cards and and try to find things that would break it something you know the sort of named unique dark naga that are in the siege deck which one of those is your favorite character slash card uh, and why the sleepless one. I, it really sad that actually the sleepless one wound up getting killed off, and I suppose I have myself to blame. <laughs> but it, in the in the story of the of the Naga deck, the sleepless one was the only one who was actually not under the Dark Naga's control. He was fighting it off. He might have eventually lost lost the battle, but he was actually the only one that was independent. Of the Dark Naga, and he was the keeper of the Black uh, Black Pearl, which I thought there's a lot of cool, uh, cool there and cool story potential. But then's the breaks. Sometimes your, you know, sometimes your favorite characters die, and sometimes you do the killing. <laughs> <laughs> what you should just do is make another card for Katsu. He he was in a similar position, but with the Shadowlands, and, and I liked him, and he just went away and hasn't been heard from again. Make a card for him, and then the story team will have to write fictions about the bad guy who doesn't want to be with the bad guys. Oh, Katsu. <laughs> and the, was it with Yujindu? Where he's like, hey, Katsu, come here, I want to try something. <laughs> oh, what's going on, boss? Rip out his heart. Hey, it did work. <laughs> I remember at the story went something along those lines of, oh, I'm going to 
try to turn you into a lich, and I'm not going to ask your permission <laughs> first. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, he was right. He was born tainted, and he, yeah, he was tied born. in with Sunset Tower and all that. Okay, Siege was a limited release at Gen Con, but that should now be available in Stronghold stores and everywhere else now. Is that am I right? Yes, it'll be at your local friendly, your local friendly local game store. Good job, Brian. Uh, that should be at your uh, friendly local game store on the shelves, or uh, if it's not on the shelf, they can order it for you. The Nogadex, a ton of fun. And even if you're not interested in playing multiplayer, you can just buy it for the cards inside, and it's a massive value. So everybody should everybody should own a copy. Yes, just see if you can uh, just take apart the Dark Naga deck, sneak out all of the unstoppable cards, and see if your opponents notice. <laughs> yeah, we were uh, we were looking at uh, at how it would do one on one because we weren't quite sure. And all, so much of the stuff is is scaling towards rank, which is zero or negative one in a one on one game. Uh, or, well, excuse me, it's one, but a lot, sorry, it's rank one, but a lot of the stuff, like when you buy a dude, you get rank minus two or rank minus one Nagas, right? So you don't ever get in your little ass warriors in a one-on-one game. So much of the stuff ranks, so it's like melee one, fear one plus one, so fear two, right? It's actually a, a relatively balanced fate deck for the most part, but the dynasty deck's not balanced. Like, like you just, yeah. You just don't even bother playing with your fate deck and your dynasty deck will just trump them because you get four fours for you get four fours for four gold that refills its province face up when it comes into play <laughs> and has a battle of minus four fours or better on it and oh uh, well, no you won't get the additional action because you won't have any warriors. Oh uh, yeah, I was just gonna say you you guys ever uh, get to do a second printing of this? Put more asp warriors in the box. <laughs> yeah, we found. Uh, we found that the amount that went in is fine for a three-player game, basically fine for four, for most four-player games. And then five-player game, you tend to, you often need more. If uh, there's only, what, 36 <laughs> in here? That's yeah, just only enough. 36. Yeah. We were looking at putting more, and just weight started becoming an issue. Because it's like, well, if we put, you know, the 60 or 70 that you could need, or sometimes even 80 in a five-player game that, you know, sometimes goes crazy, it's like, this thing is going to take so much to ship. <laughs> and it was significantly impacting the final price of the product. And we're like, yeah, that's just not worth it. What, when you, when you order stuff from the factory in China, they don't give you free shipping? I, <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. And then, you know, when we send it out to distributors, for some reason, it's not free shipping. <laughs> and, and distributors to to your local store, for some reason, it's not free shipping. That's, that's the one problem in the gaming industry is people want to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Curse you. I, uh, and it's shipping. It's, it's sp- speaking of shipping costs being too high, so when is Art of War coming out? <laughs> uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, Senator. I have no recollection of that game. <laughs> All right. So we have been talking about Siege Heart of Darkness, the new multiplayer product for the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. Thanks for coming on and talking with me about that, Brian. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
All right, you've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can check out more Strange Assembly at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Strange Assembly and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, for Brian Reese, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.